you do not yet realize your importance. You have only begun to discover your power. Join me, and I will complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. I'll never join you! If you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough! He told me you killed him. No. I... What you guys just experienced right there is a, is a real typical scenario um, at my household. Yeah. So my wife and I, you know, we, we get all settled. Um, kids are in bed. Got, you know, we got a cup of tea. We're going to just relax. We're going to sit down to some, you know, great theatrical experience. But it never works out that way. See, we live with these two little insurgent terrorist kind of things that are five and, and two-year-old. And... Um, I don't know what they have going other than it's this, this real subversive plot to basically interrupt any of our peaceful time, right? So we're in there, we're in the, in the room, they're in bed, and, and here's the deal. We can hear them communicating, okay? They have come up with this secret, like, code that maybe only, like, prison inmates can understand and decipher. They're communicating back and forth to each other. They're coming up with a strategy, and it's always, like, a two-prong kind of thing that happens, right? And it's not very deep in its strategy, but it always hits us from every different angle. So we got the two-year-old. He'll come out in the hallway, and his basic strategy, make noise, break things, okay? And so, so he'll wander out, and he'll do that. He'll make noise, and then he'll break things. And then one of us gets up and like, Luke, it's time to, you know, go back to bed. And then when, he, when we get him settled, then number two, she comes out, right? And here's, her strategy is, is amazing, right? Because she'll get up right after we get him to bed, and she'll come out, and she'll go like, Mom and Dad, I love you this much. And we just go, do you? Do you really? And then, and then they'll switch, and then, like, and then, like, sometimes she starts, sometimes she starts, she'll come in, you know, and she'll be like, you're the best mom and dad ever, and we just go, are we, are we really? And then he'll get back in the hall, and so, you know, just, it's just a, con we watch movies in quarters at this point, right? And we'll, so there's just a lot of paused scenarios. I hope I didn't ruin, if you haven't seen this movie, I hope I didn't ruin anything for you, by the way. <laughs> There's, there's no point, I'm not going to pull out any kind of force references after this, there's no point to showing this clip other than, so I hope I didn't ruin it. The only thing I'll say about the plot is, you know, up until this point, Luke is still super, super excited that he kissed Princess Leia. So, <laughs> other than that, there's, there's absolutely no point to this. So, but of course, our movies get interrupted. But we're okay with it, right? Because, well, they're worth it. If only we could do that good when all of life's interruptions come. If only we could say in that moment, you know, I don't, I don't know what just happened. I, I don't know why it happened. I don't know how long it's going to happen for. But I know that even though it's happening, I can't stop from worshiping God. I know that it can't stop me 
from living my life for him. And granted, movie interruptions, very, very different than getting a phone call with the news on the other end of the line that you never expected and, and you don't know how to get your head around. Having to hit pause is not the same as having one of your parents move out or getting the call that it's terminal or having them tell you, I'm leaving and I'm never coming back. I understand that, but, but nonetheless, the thing that's non-negotiable about life, it's inevitable, is that life is gonna be filled with interruptions. And we can try to manage those interruptions. We can try to manage them out of our lives. We can try to hold on to the control with both hands. We can get everything organized. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna keep everything on course. We're gonna keep it on track. All the deadlines are gonna be met. Expectations will be met. We have a picture, we have a plan, we have our lives mapped out, but here's the news flash. None of us can keep interruptions out of our lives. They are the non-negotiable part of living on planet Earth. Some of them are there because of our choices. Some of them are there because of the choices of other people. We have no control over them. Some of the interruptions that come are there, there because of those circumstances, and sometimes God just flat out intervenes right in the middle of our organized plan, and he wreaks havoc with everything we thought was going to be. So in that moment, we have a choice. We can bail out on God. We can say, ah, you know, it's just not worth it. We can bail out on ourselves. We can bail out on faith and say, I don't like it. I don't, I don't know what's happening. I, I don't understand. I don't get it. And I just want it to stop. Or in that moment, we can say, look, I, I don't know what just happened. I, I'm not understanding fully, but I do know God. I know that God is bigger than any interruption that can come into my life. And all, all I need to do is just, just lean into him in this moment. And I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him that he has a purpose, that he has a plan that can begin to unfold even now in the midst of this horrific interruption. So as we move forward this morning, what we kind of want to shed light on is just is this myth. And the, and the myth is this, is that when we become followers of Christ, God is guaranteed to make our life better. Meaning, and, and if I can just be honest here, meaning, meaning this, by, by better I mean this, like my life, and this is probably what most of us mean by better, my life is just going to go on as scheduled. But now I have God in, in the equation, and, and that's just going to make things better. So my life is going to go on as I planned. It's just that God's going to be by my side and God's going to be with me. And, and that's going to make everything fantastic because now God's in my life and, and I have my life and everything's going to be perfect. I can see it. I've planned it. I've already got it mapped out. You see, God isn't really looking to come and join our lives in that way. He's more interested in us joining his. And here's the real interesting thing this morning. The, the Jesus life experiencing and knowing and walking with Jesus by very definition is completely disruptive. By definition, the Christian life is a revolution. And by definition, the Christian life is the unexpected at every turn. And so for us to come around and say, you know, here's the deal. Here's what's going to happen, God. And I just need you to 
jump on board with my plans. Help me manage my life. And God's like, you know what? It doesn't work that way. When you come into a relationship with me, everything changes. And one of the major things that changes is that you come to understand that life is unexpected. And in all of it, I'm just simply going to do what I do. The passage of scripture we're going to kind of kick off this morning with is found in the gospel of Luke. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to follow along with me. It's found in Luke chapter 5. Let me give you a little bit of context here so we can kind of begin to understand why Jesus has this teaching. So Jesus has basically just unloaded his ministry. So a few verses earlier, he's called his first disciples. And you might know the story, you know, as it kind of unfolds. If not, I'll kind of, I'm going to kind of paraphrase it here for you. But you got Peter, and you got James, and John. And they had this massive fishing operation. They were, they were partners together, and they were really good fishermen. And Jesus appears to them, and they've been fishing like crazy all night long, and they haven't caught anything. And he tells them, well, here's the deal. I'll, I'll tell you how to fish. And they're like, yeah, right. Like, we haven't caught anything. We've been fishing like crazy this whole time, and nothing's biting. And he says, yeah, but if you fish this way, and if you throw your nets that way, it's just going to work out for you. And for whatever reason, they're like, well, let's just give it a shot. We'll go for it. And, and they did it, and they're like, okay, we'll, we'll try it one more time. You know, what do we have to lose? So they threw their nets in. They did, as he said, and, it, and he, they couldn't even get like all the fish into the boat. There were so many. And, and so their eyes just, just lit up. And you say, like, well, what's, what's that story about? I mean, I remember the whole flannel board thing. You know, there's the fish, there's the boat, and they couldn't find Jesus that day, so Moses was standing in for Jesus and, you know, on the flannel board. So anyway, so, and, and so what's the whole point here, though? Because I've seen it, you know, played out there. The point is this. Whatever you think your life is about whether it's technology or it's fashion or whether it's education or it's money or it's career or it's relationships, whatever you think your life is about, Jesus knows about a thousand times more in your whole lifetime about whatever it is you do. He's not some sort of spiritual parallel track over here that, you know, you do life, and then when you need some sort of spiritual input, some sort of assistance, you can kind of give him a call, and he'll come running. He knows everything about everything. And what he says to these guys, I mean, okay, so these guys smell, right? They stink. They're cranky. They've been up all night. They're fishermen. They're tough. They're rough. They're not exactly the first guys that I would go to you know, to say like, hey, I'm going to start this Christian movement thing, and, and I need some guys to, you know, start. You guys in? I mean, they're sailors. They're, they're cussing. Like, well, they're sailors, okay? And so if I'm Jesus, and I'm going to start this whole spiritual movement, I'm heading to, down to Interzone Coffee, right? I'm grabbing some of the dreadlock hacky sack guys, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to start this whole spiritual thing. And they'd be like, yeah, we're totally on board. We'll grab our drums and our dogs, and we'll just go for it, right? <laughs> I mean, these guys, they're mad, they're upset, they've been up all night, they didn't catch anything. And all they can think about is like, what a waste of time, that was so miserable. And Jesus is like, that looks like a couple of guys that I could start a spiritual movement with right there. So Jesus says, hey guys, go back out, throw your nets over there into the deep water. And they're like, what? He's like, come on, just try it. Who are you? No, just try it. And then they couldn't get all the fish back in their boat. They're like, who is this guy? And they come back to shore, and they're like, where'd you come from? And check out what he says. He says, 
You've been fishermen all your lives, but I want to make you fishers of men. I want to leave your business. I want you to leave your boats. I want you to leave your nets, leave your past, leave everything. And I want you to come and follow me. I mean, he didn't say it exactly in these words, but basically what he was saying is, you guys, you guys are going to be my first followers. You guys are going to be the first to come to understand and know the Son of God on earth. You're going to be the first people in this movement with me. And later he would say to this guy, Peter, he says, I'm going to build a church on a rock, and and you're going to be a voice for that to the whole world. And and he says, by the way, I'd like for you to leave your business, say goodbye to your father, let him know that, you know, you're not going to be reporting to work this evening, that you're just going to have to get some people to take the night shift. Just tell him you're done fishing for fish. And instead, tell him you're going to spend the rest of your life fishing for people. I don't know what happened. I mean, I wasn't there. But that's, that's how simple this story comes down. I mean, there's just something about the look on this guy's face and the authority in his voice and the fish overflowing the boat. They looked at him and said, done, we're in. We'll follow you. We'll give this thing another 24 hours. We'll just see what's up. We'll go with you, and and we're going to see where you're leading us. And so from the very inception, Christianity was disruptive. It wasn't like, hey, guys, big boatload of fish. Isn't that cool? I'll come back next Sunday and check in and see how you're doing. It wasn't like, hey, just keep on fishing. Keep on doing your life. Keep on doing what you expected. Keep on doing what you've done up until now. Just make sure to remember me. My name's Jesus. I appreciate your support. It wasn't just this little, like, I'm Jesus, and add me to the equation. It was change the whole equation. And so immediately, Luke tells the story, and then he speeds things up here. Jesus begins to work. He's already done a miracle here. And now coming to the end of chapter 5, and his disciples, here's the deal. They're not fasting the way that the religious leaders expected them or, or want them to fast. And so they're all, the religious leaders, they're complaining about Jesus and his followers, and why aren't they fasting? So it opens up like this in verse 33. It says, They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will, come, will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is, fasting is good. It's great. Go for it. But you don't fast while I'm here. You fast after I leave. You might have fasted before, as a sign. You did that as a sign to say, God, we need a Messiah. We need a Savior. We're expecting that. But now that I'm here with you and I'm walking around, you don't need to fast right now. You just need to hang with me right now. You need to follow me right now. You need to listen to me right now. There's going to be a day when I leave this earth, and in that day, you're going to be hoping for heaven. You're going to be longing for my return. And in that day, fast. Fasting is basically saying, God, we need you, and we want you in our lives. But he's like, I'm here. I'm here with you right now, so you don't need to fast because I'm here. So that's, that's why my followers aren't fasting. And the people are like, what? Like, they just don't, they don't get it, right? And so then he goes on to say this in the next verse. It says, he told them this story, this parable. 
No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new one will not match the old. So in other words, you're going to have some shrinkage going on here because the new material isn't going to sync up if you just sew it up to the old material. Eventually, you're going to get this whole disruption of the two things, and it's just not going to work. He goes on to say it in a, in a different way here. He says, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. And these days, here's the deal. You basically if you wanted some wine, you'd carry around your wine bag, okay? You'd put your wine in it, and it would be made out of some type of animal skin. It would be, it's, it's a portable wine carrier. And so when the wine bag got old, it got good. I guess kind of like a baseball mitt, right? Like it gets worn in, it gets good. And so when you put new wine into that, which is potentially still going to go through this fermentation process, it would put some tension and some strain on the old wine skin, and you would have a problem. So he says, Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wine skids will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into the new wine skins, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. So in other words, there's something coming that's better than everything you've ever experienced before. And there's something that's coming and we know this now in hindsight, the something that's coming that he's referring to is him. It's this relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. It's the, this whole new experience of God. And Jesus is saying, that's what's coming. And, and you can't fit this new thing into that old system. And in this case, it's this old religious system. Like, like you do this and, and you do that and you come here and you don't go there and you say this and you don't say that. You can't put a new relationship with Christ into that system because it's just going to burst the system. And in the same way, he's saying, you can't come into a relationship with Christ and say, okay, here's my life, God, and I want a brand new relationship with you. I want to be forgiven. I want to have fellowship with God, the creator, and, and I want you in my life. And I'm just going to pour all of that into my old wineskin. So I'm going, to, I'm going to pour all of that new you into my old relationships, my old habits, my old way of life, my old way of thinking, my old outlook in life, my old way of doing life. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pour you, Jesus, in there and expect that you're going to fit into my life. And he's going, no, 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 that, that's not how it works. You can't put me in your life. You have to put you in my life. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 3, 3 through 4. He says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then check out what he says in Colossians 2, 6 through 7. It says, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him and rooted and built up in him. So it's always about our life in his. This, maybe this will be a little bit more helpful. You guys might remember this. I got to disappear here for a second. I'm assuming that if I go back here, you can still hear me talking. Is that correct? I should have got some, some minions to help me with this. But maybe, maybe some of you guys might even remember this um, from a couple years back. So it looks something like this. Got one more. All right. So it's it's just it's Tupperware, right? So Paul explains that it's 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 uh it's us, you know, in Christ, and then Christ is hidden in God, and so our lives are in Him, and so we've got, you know, in this whole process, we've got God, and then of course, we've got. 
Christ in there. And then you've got you. Now, what's in you? Well, normally, the, some verses actually say, you know, Jesus is in you. I, I actually have coffee in here today because I knew it was, I was so tired. It was a long Christmas, and so I brought myself some coffee. So hold on here. Just let me kind of get things. We're going to take a little intermission. I can't, totally can't believe I didn't bring enough to share again with everybody. And that only makes sense if you were here a couple weeks ago. But, uh, so, I mean, you, you probably start to understand a little bit what, what we're saying here. You know, we can't, there's just, there's a space problem to a certain extent. I promised uh, Ben Hoffman I would bring him some coffee this morning. So, and Ben, you can, to- you can share you can share by, well, you know, by proxy. Yeah, there you go. So, Ben, if you want to sit, Ben will pass it around to you guys. Um, this, that one up there is mine. So, um, but you get it, right? You got you here. And, and here's what he's saying. Now, this box here, um, it represents me. Um, you know, I got it backwards. It'll make a lot more sense and maybe be better. I put everything in here that I'm about. And it's very two-dimensional, I noticed. It's video games and bikes. And I, I know, you would think at the age that I'm at in my life, I would be a little bit more. But like, so th- this is kind of, I'm just, video games and bikes, that's all I need. And um, so that's, that's me. That represents a lot about who I am. And, you know, I was just thinking like, I mean, it doesn't represent maybe the old me, but it represents me. And I was just thinking, gosh, you know, if I hold on to that, I mean, there's just not a lot of room, right? There's not a lot of room for, for anything else. And, and so many times what we want to do is we want to grab Jesus here, and we just kind of want to... I don't want to tip this over because my Xbox is in there, but... And it, and it, begins, to, it begins to look like that, right? Like, we'll just... Just kind of dump him on everything else that's in our life. And it, it's just it's a spatial problem. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't work, does it? It just fits a whole lot better with us in Christ. Christ hidden in God. And if you remember you got a lot to get through here to get to you. Because you're in Christ, and he's in God. And that's what he's saying. Like, don't put me in you, put you in me. And Jesus is like, you can't expect me to get into your little worldview. Like, I won't fit. What I'll do is I'll just, I'll break things apart. And some of you are going, well, then, I like this. And so maybe Maybe this isn't for me because I'm kind of happy with the nice little world that I control, that I live in. Are you? I mean, is that what you really want? Do you really want to be in control of your life? I mean, do you really want to be the one to try to hold it all together, keep it all in place? Do you want to sustain it? Do you want to fulfill it? Do you want to bring hope to it? Do you want to give purpose to it? 
Is that what you want? Or do you want what Jesus was talking about when he said, I have come to give life, and I have come to give it abundantly. I have come to give it to the full. Do you want Jesus to come and join your job world, your life world, your relational world, your academic world? Or do you want the type of Jesus that's so compelling that you say, you know what? It doesn't matter where you're going or what you're about. I'm just going to go with you. I'll ditch the little plan that I've conceived in my mind and I'll say, look, you're God, you're Messiah. You've just done a miraculous thing and wherever you're going, I'm in. You see, I would love that we could all get to this place in our lives where we just, we expect interruptions. And, and, and where we just know that since we're Christ followers, I'm a child of God and, and Christianity by its very nature is disruptive, this revolutionary thing. I would expect that my life is gonna be filled with by who knows what. And so when that interruption comes from somebody else's choice or a circumstances or a very obvious act of God, we can just say, you know what? I expected my life to be filled with interruptions. And I'm not saying that we love interruptions, I mean, please hear me saying that. I'm not saying that we pray for interruptions. I'm not saying that we crave difficulty in our lives. I'm just saying that we have this mindset about us. Earth is fallen. Sin has broken the world. And God is working in spite of that, first and foremost, to give glory to himself and then to give us this abundant life. And that I would anticipate over the course of my life, God has stuff for me that I could never possibly think of or imagine. I also know that because I live in this fallen world, that there's going to be a lot of difficulty and a lot of left turns in my world. And when they come, I'm just going to trust God, no matter what. I have this expectancy about having interruptions in my life. And I have faith, as Paul says, that God's just, he's going to work it out for his good, for his glory. And secondly, to add to that, I don't want to just expect interruptions. I actually want to wrap my arms around them and, and embrace them. And it, and it could be a small thing, like a, like a detour on your way to work. Or it could be something huge. Either way, you just get it. You're, you're not in control. And when you embrace that interruption, here's the deal. It's, it's not an admission of defeat. To embrace an interruption in life is not about defeat. It merely highlights that you're not the one in control. You weren't to start with, and you're not now. And it highlights to you that interruptions don't stop God from accomplishing his purpose in this world and in your life. And embracing that change and embracing that interruption, it begins to shift our whole perspective. It changes the way that we start to approach that situation. It changes our demeanor. It changes the way that we treat people. It puts us in a whole different frame of mind to embrace. And you might be like, well, the interruption, it's, it's a little bit bigger than, you know, traffic delays or never seeing the end of a movie. I mean, maybe the interruption in your life is way, way bigger than that, way more important than that. And you're saying, you tell me I'm just, I'm supposed to embrace that? Like, 
they came to me and they said, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Goodbye. Oh, and I'm just, I'm just going to embrace that? My partner's gone. The relationship's over, and, and I'm just supposed to embrace that? Well, you might want to contend for it, and you might want to fight under God for it, and you might want to faith him for it, and you might want to trust him with it and believe for it. And that's different from embracing the reality of it and knowing that in that moment, I'm not in control. But it's not going to stop God from doing what he wants to do in my life. You see, from the very beginning, think about it, we're saved because Christ came. And when he came, it disrupted all of heaven. He was God in heaven. And he laid that aside to enter earth. I mean, you talk about interruption. Dear son of God, I need you to stop being glorified in heaven and enter into this human body and be born in a barn. That's an interruption. Interruption happened to him and it happens to us all the time. Just look at these stories from God's word. God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with the pitch inside and out. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all of life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. As the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Only Noah was left, and those with him in the ark, life was interrupted. Genesis 12, 1, the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I showed you. Life interrupted. Genesis 27, 31 through 35, Esau came to his father and said, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. My father's, or, my father, please sit up. I already read that. And his father, Isaac, asked him, who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, my father. But he said, Your, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Life interrupted. Genesis 37, 23 and 28. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern and, and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. Life interrupted. Genesis 3, 7 and 10. The the Lord said, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Life interrupted. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Life interrupted. Luke 1, 30 through 31. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And that is such good news to us, isn't it? But she was a poor, illiterate virgin betrothed to be married. Dreaming about her wedding day since she was like 10. She's probably 13 or 14 now. Joseph's been dreaming about the honeymoon forever. And then, oh, guess what? 
I mean, it's good news to us, but oh, guess what? You're pregnant. You're a middle school girl. You're a virgin. And it's God's. Interruption. If you were a little boy in that region, you were probably buried by your mother and your father because the government was afraid of the prophecy that had been foretold about the Son of God named Jesus. And so they just killed every two-year-old boy. Jesus' parents had taken him to Egypt, but every other kid in that region lost their life. When Jesus came into this earth, it was a huge interruption. Listen to what Matthew says about his announcement. It says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard about Jesus, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, it makes sense that King Herod would be disturbed, right? There's a new king in town. Your job is gone. But it says, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Everybody else was disturbed at the coming of this king. It interrupts life. And Jesus' life I mean, talk about mapping it out. No, I mean, it, it was the Father's plan, but it was so unlike what we would have ex- anticipated for a Messiah. And his death, I mean, no accident there. But man, did it, did it ever shake up the world? Revolutionary, his death and his resurrection. And he's the Son of God calling us to follow him in a broken and sinful world, saying, hey, it's new wine time. It's a whole new world time. It's a whole new relationship time. It's a whole new God time. And you can't just take the God patch and sew it onto your old garments. It's just, it's not going to work. You can't take the new life of Christ and, and his spirit and, and pour it into your old lifestyle. It just, it just doesn't work. You'll have to abandon your lifestyle to me. And so whatever you want to do and whatever your purposes are, You just say, I'm going to trust God with my life. And how can we trust him? I mean, how can we know? Well, because of the cross. I know I can trust Jesus because of the cross. Because what he did for me, because of what he bled for me, because of what he gave for me, I know I can trust him no matter what. So I'm going to embrace this interruption, meaning there's going to be some questions I'm not going to ask. And then there's going to be some questions I'm going to ask. I'm not going to ask primarily these two questions. Why is this happening to me? And when is this going to stop? I mean, and those are typically two of the questions that we probably ask when in those interruption moments, right? Like we we always ask how we can get out of this. How can I minimize this interruption? How can I get done with this interruption and move on with my plan? How can I manage this thing to be as small as an interruption as possible? And why of all the people is this happening to me? Why am I the one that this is happening to? And we ask that question as if we're the only one that it's happening to in the whole world. Like we're the only one that has interruptions. We'll be stuck on the freeway on the interstate, because there was a traffic accident, there was a wreck, and we say, oh, why was this happening to me? Yeah, somebody just got in a wreck, right? You get it. We ask these questions as if it's not happening to anybody else. 
So what I want you to think about is asking some very different questions. This is what it means to embrace interruption. Check them out. The first question we ask when interruption comes is this. God, what are you doing through this interruption? God, what are you doing right now? I didn't expect for it to go this way. I didn't expect to, to have to go this way to work this morning. God, what are you doing? And you might say, like, I'm not doing anything. I didn't have anything to do. I, did, I didn't do anything with this. It just, it's a pothole getting filled in. And you're like, okay, fine, no big, you know, no big deal. You, you just want me to take another way to work? And he's like, you can take any way that you want to work. It's fine with me. I'm just, I'm here with you. That's the point. Or it could be, hey, God, what, what are you doing? And he's like, I've, I've actually got something really big I'm about to do in your life. It's going to drop pretty soon, so you better, you better pay attention. And you're like, okay, I'm looking. I get it because I, I was expecting interruptions. I'm trying to embrace this one so, so I know what you want to do with it. What, I, want you, I know what you want to do in the midst of this. The second one is this. We ask this question, God, who do you want me to meet or, or what do you want to do through me? And this one's a tough question because it means we stop. It takes time. It usually makes us uncomfortable. I'm going to invite my friend Dave Lilly up here real quick, and he has this awesome story. He just shared this with me Friday night, and the lights went on. This was like an interruption that God brought into his life, and uh, I, just, I just love this story. Here you go. You got to go back a couple of years on this. Um, we have a, 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 a boy that just graduated. I, I, have, I have a wife of 33 years, happily married. Marry her again. Oh, sorry, my wife's saying she's already got me lined up. Okay. <laughs> and uh, we have three kids, and my youngest, Micah, graduated from high school last year, so he has been under the tutelage of uh, Randall here. The thing that's been really neat is we've watched our son just grow in the Lord, and, and uh, he brings home these adventure stories from wherever he's been, and so they've gone to Mexico a few times, and uh, he's also done these trips down to San Francisco in some pretty rough areas, but to serve the homeless and that sort of thing, and it's been exciting to hear these stories come back, but this last year when he came back, he told us this incredible story about socks. Now, when you think about the homeless, you think about, well, they need blankets or, you know, a sleeping bag or something like that. But he's saying, where well, one day they went out and handed out socks. Okay, that's a new one for me. I had never heard of that. And, and meanwhile, while he's telling the story and, and the things that went on with it, my brother also uh, uh, took a job up in Seattle where he's now the director of the, uh, of the mission up there. And he, I'm telling him this story about, well, you know, Micah came back and he's telling me these things about socks. He goes, oh, yeah, that's a main thing. He says, you have no idea the need for socks for these these guys and gals that are out there. And so to me, I would like to be up here and say, I've got the most compassionate heart, and that's the farthest thing from the truth. I'm, I'm not there. I'm not a, uh, compassion is not my, my strong suit. And you can ask my kids about that. They'll tell you. <laughs> but I took this set aside in my, my mind. I thought, well, that's weird, but okay. They, they know what they're doing, and that's why they're where they're at and blah, blah, blah. So, okay. So that, set that aside for a moment. My wife of 33 years, and again, I'd marry her again. I want to make sure you understand that. Did that come through the first time? Okay. Anyway, she loves dark chocolate. It's like her major thing. And so every anniversary we have a tradition, except that C's Chocolates came out with a special new dark chocolate this year. And uh, 
I had to get her some. I just knew it would be really cool. Except the problem was, the first time I go down there, well, they didn't start selling it till the 15th, and I was there on October 14th. And so I oh, it messed it up, so I couldn't pick it up. That day. But I was going to come back in a couple of days. Well, one thing interrupted, and I wasn't able to get back. Meanwhile, my dad has some medical procedures done, and that thing kind of stretches out for several weeks. And I kept wanting to go back to see chocolate, and I couldn't do it. And I kept trying in four separate attempts, and I could not get the chocolate. There was some reason it always kind of fell, fell apart. Me being a task-driven guy, one day I've taken my dad in for another medical procedure, and as we're there, they, there's something that goes wrong, and so they, they're going to have to bring in this guy, specialist, to take care of it, and so it's going to be two hours we're going to wait for this guy to show up. And so here I am thinking, again, compassionate, heavy in my heart, right? Dad, you hang tight. I'm going to go get some C's chocolate. <laughs> now, he's cool about it, and he understands, and so um, I run down to get the chocolate, and this time I get it, and I, I'm score. I'm excited, but I got my dad back in the in the, uh, the the doctor's office getting this medical procedure. I need to head back right now. And as I'm walking out of the C store, as I'm going down, I'm walking, and I just out of the side of my eye, I notice there's a homeless guy there, and he's lifting up his pant legs to take off his shoes. And guess what? He doesn't have on. No socks. And I'm thinking, now, as I'm going through, I'm on a clip because I'm on a mission. I'm, I'm like, I got to go back and see my dad and the whole bit. Well, as I'm on this mission, I get about two more steps and there's this voice inside that says, so what are you going to do about it? What? <laughs> I'm going to go see my dad. That's what I'm going to do about it. No, you just saw this guy not having socks. I mean, think about this for a minute, Dave. That guy really could use some socks. Yeah, well, I hope he gets some. You know, what, what's the problem here? And, I, and I'm on a mission, and, and I was, it was so cool. I was only half a block. I found a great, anybody that's ever been in Salem for C's Chocolate, there's not a lot of parking around there. Well, I, would, I had scored a great sparking. I mean, it was, everything was working right and clicking, and everything was right. And by the time I get to the traffic light, Guy and I are having a major discussion. It's a heated discussion. I gotta go somewhere. I gotta. What are you gonna do about the guy with no socks? Now, I am not one of these people that throw the money in the bag or you know give you a hamburger. All that kind. Of, that's not me. That's not where I'm about. And and God didn't understand the bigger picture here. I knew it. <laughs> so, but I got him. I got got on 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 because I. Where am I gonna get socks here? Where am I going to get the socks? And I look up, and there's a stupid Walgreens right there. <laughs> and so I, I go over to Walgreens, and I grab the socks. I sit them down. I mean, I, I'd like to tell you, I'm just filled with compassion, and my heart would just go. <laughs> I was ticked off. God was messing around with my plan that day. And so I set the thing on, on the counter, and the gal says, well, is there anything else? Nope, this is it. <laughs> okay. So I paid it. Well, he, my, my brother told me, don't give him the whole package, just give him like part, because they're going to lose a lot of them anyway, but just go ahead, just rip it open and, and give him about half the package of socks, and that'll be plenty. So I'm running all this stuff in my mind. Okay, so, so I, turn, I open the thing right there, and so I've got a pile of uh, a socks in my hand, and the others I threw in the bag of seized chocolates, and I'm walking back across the street. Well, I'm walking up to this guy, and I'm a pretty good-sized guy, and he's looking at me like, oh, okay, what did you do? And I, no, no, be cool, you know. And, and as I'm walking up to him, I notice that, yeah, he's got his shoes off, and his feet are covered with sores and Band-Aids. And that's what he had stopped to do was put some Band-Aids on all of the problems he was having on his feet. It crushed me. This guy with no compassion, I was a hurting puppy. I felt about, no, not that big, a little, about that. And it was, it was horrible. I just, so I walked up and I, I handed him the socks. And when he saw the socks, his eyes lit up and he's going, yeah, score. And uh, I handed it to him and he goes, man, thank you so much. And I said, you know, I thought you could use these today. And he says, man, I really appreciate it. I said, not a problem. I turn around, and I, I got to get away, because right now I'm a hurting puppy. I'm not feeling real good about what just happened. Man, God's always right about this kind of stuff. 
And so I go up to the light, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm not saying nothing to God now. He's, he's been pretty brutal as far as I'm concerned. And I, go, I go through, I, I wait for the traffic light, I go out across, as I'm walking out, this guy comes out of the store dressed up very nice and the whole bit, and he walks up and he puts his hand out to me, and I'm like, whoa, and he goes, hey, I just wanted to say thank you for what you just did. What I just did? Why don't you just help that? I said, what? He goes, you don't understand. He says, I'm the manager of this Walgreens. That guy comes in here every day buying Band-Aids, every day. I had no clue what he was doing with all these Band-Aids, but he said, today I was coming back from lunch, and I'm walking by, and I saw his feet, and I understood what he's doing with all those Band-Aids. So he says, I was in the process of walking in the store. I was going to buy some socks, and I saw you walking out with a handful of socks. He says, I knew just what you were going to do. And right then and there, I just absolutely crumbled. I, I looked at the guy, and I said, man, God must really love this guy a lot. And he goes, I'm not following you. I said, no, you don't understand. If I fell through, if I didn't do what I was supposed to do, God already had you as a backup. He's going to get you squared away. Here's the irony about all this is that as I drove back and I'm talking to my dad, it's the whole thing kept running through my mind over and over again. There were several aspects of this. I had four previous attempts to get my chocolate, but for whatever reason, God wanted me to go back that fifth time. And I'd like to tell you that, man, my heart was really just excited about, you know, helping this guy. Nothing is further from the truth. If you heard that, you didn't hear this right. But sometimes God asks us to do stuff that you know what, we're not really excited about doing, but it doesn't matter. You hear people say, well, I don't know what God's will is. For me, that's not the problem. I almost always know what God's will is, is whether I'm willing to be obedient to what that desire of God is for me to do. That's where my whole struggle has been. That particular day, God used me. I, you know, whether or not I helped the guy, I, you know what, that's not even the point from my point of view, is that by me stopping at God's insistence, by the way, God interrupted my life and did some incredible things, not just for that guy, but even more for me. How's that? Okay, perfect. Well, thank you. Such a great story, and, and uh, I thought it was so fitting. And, and, and it just, I mean, it literally, like, Friday night, Dave stopped me, and we talked about that. And so, um, last question that you probably are going to want to ask yourself here, you know, it's, it's God, what, what are you doing here? And then it's God, is there somebody that you want me to minister to in this interruption? Is there something that you want to do through me um, with, with somebody else, which is typically always the case? And of course, the last question that you might want to ask God is, God, what do you, what do you want to do? And you saw it right here. What do you want to do in me in the middle of this interruption? So we got both of those questions asked answered there, you know, who do you want me to see, and how do you want to use me, and then God did something in Dave through that, and, and you know, you, you might be stuck in traffic and going, God, I'm so mad that I'm stuck in traffic right now, um, I want to rip the steering wheel off and fashion it into some form of med medieval weapon and, you know, just go crazy here, but what are you trying to do, God? And he might say, well, let's start there. Let's start with your temper. That's what I'm trying to do in you. Let's start with your control issues. Let's start with the fact that you're a procrastinator and you leave late for work every single day. Let's start with the fact that you have unresolved anger. Let's start with the fact that you hate it when things don't go your way. And your life, which, by the way, isn't really your life to get, you know, to begin with, when it gets interrupted, Let's just, let's start with that conversation because, because what you're doing is you're limiting me and by virtue of that, you're limiting your experience of me and I have so much in this life for you, so much more than that. There's so much more than managing your life good 
and that everything always happens the way that you planned it. And when your life comes to an end, that's all you have. And I go on, and God's just saying, I have so much more for you than that. He's like, hey, congratulations in succeeding in pulling your plan off, but I actually had so much more for you, more than you could ever dream of, more than you could ever taste, because you were determined to hold on to the reins the whole time, because at the heart of it, you didn't trust me with the life that I gave you. So God, what do you want to do in me in the middle of this interruption? And I'm not an expert on this stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm terrible with it. I'm talking to me, talking to you, okay? Just saying, God, help us to shift our focus. Maybe help us to lift our eyes, to lift our gaze. God, where does our help come from? Maybe God's saying you just need a little lift in your life. Back to Mary, unwed, virgin, pregnant, illiterate, no future, no prospect, probably going to be single in the very near future, middle school girl. Life interrupted. How does she respond? Listen to what Luke wrote. He says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? So she asked a question. She's not saying I'm not on board with this, but she asked a question. I don't understand. Just tell me how this is going to be. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Is what Mary says. I don't know if you got the fact that she's this teenage girl that's, yeah. But from a middle school girl, Huge interruption in her life. Huge disturbance. She says, I am your servant. May your word be fulfilled. God, what are you doing here? Because I just, I need to know. I want to know what you're doing. What are you, like, who are you trying to reach? How can you use me? God, what are you trying to do in me? And then simply, okay, I am your servant. May your word be fulfilled. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we could come together and worship you and hear from your word. And God, it's a challenging word. We know that the stuff's going to come and it's going to happen and it's going to hit and it's going to interrupt. And God, the question in our minds need to be, God, how, how are you working? What are you doing? We want to get on board with it. God, we want to see you change people. We want to experiencing you changing us. God, we want to be your servants. And it may be a stretch and a challenge to buy some socks and give them to somebody. And yet, God, in the end, you're glorified. We understand and experience life to the full. In your name we pray. Amen.